love the sound of babies. I really do. We've got three of them in the house this morning. It's great. Tim, can you keep yours under control? It's all good. You got him back there? Well, this morning we're going to be back in Galatians chapter 3. And I want to recap where we were last week through verses 1 through 5. We looked into the details of Paul's plead to the church in Galatia. And prior to chapter 3 and 1 and 2, Paul began with a greeting, but quickly initiated his rebuke. Why rebuke? The simple yet accurate answer is this. The church that Paul planted in Galatia was quickly, quickly deserting the true gospel. Joe taught us about that. Paul makes an indirect appeal to his brothers and sisters in chapter 1 and 2. And then he states his defense for himself, but not only himself, but for the gospel. In chapter, in chapter 2, 11 through 21, Paul specifically opposed Peter for the perseverance in preserving the truth of the gospel. And then last Sunday in our time together, we learned three truths about the Spirit of God. One, that God supplies the Spirit of truth through the cross. Paul sat before, as he would say, O foolish Galatians in verse 1 of chapter 3. And he says that in, clearly in, chapter two, in verse 1, he says, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul lived a life before the church, a life that demonstrated the love of Christ, a life that, he calls, that Christ calls us to as well as Christian believers. But it started with the spirit of the truth through the cross. And then we learn in the second truth about the Spirit of God is that it is supplied in the Spirit in response to our hearing in faith. We hear, and the third is God supplies the Spirit in the midst of suffering, affliction, and hardship. People are very cautious to talk to me these days about suffering, about hardship. And I understand, given the circumstance. But we need to be clear, church, that where God has you is where you need to be. Where God has you is where you need to be. As Jim Elliott would say, is where you are, be all there. When you walk through different things in life and hardships, afflictions, there's a reason. And we trust that, that God is working in us for that specific reason. Not only for us, but His good and His glory. So be all there. And the summary is I summarized chapter 3, 1 through 5 in Galatians. Faith is how we begin. Faith is how we continue the Christian life. We do not become a Christian by earning favor. We do not become a Christian by keeping rule before God. We practice good deeds or produce good works. It isn't because we are trying to earn forgiveness. It's simple because we are forgiven. God's grace compels us into these good deeds. The Spirit of God moves in us to create these good works, to give Him glory. We live it out in our lives. It works in us and through us, and we live daily by faith because we are who Scripture says we are. We embrace it. We live it out as the church. We enjoy it. 1 John 1.9, I'm consistently, constantly reminded of His love for us. And we love because He first loved us. If we want to grow into the likeness of Christ, we must become very familiar with our position in Christ. As Christians, Christ-like, we are growing into His likeness. We've got to remember our position there. And to summarize, chapter 3, 1-5, through 5, where it started, 
is where it all will end. Jesus. We've got to embrace that. God the Father and His Son at His right hand. Our salvation by hearing in faith, seeing Christ crucified, calling us into this life as a Christian. We must receive that and believe that together as the church. So we left off in chapter 3 and then we're heading into chapter, uh, verses 6-14 through 14 today. Paul is making a claim to the church countering the Judaizing teachers. In the early church, those who taught a combination, hear me, a combination of God's grace and human effort was called Judaizers. A Judaizer, Judaizer taught that in order for a Christian to truly be right with God, he must conform to the Mosaic Law. What is the Mosaic Law? Let me explain real quick. One, Ten Commandments, made up three elements. Mosaic Law is Ten Commandments. Second is the decrees and ordinances at that time, and even today. And third, the worship systems, their priesthoods, their tabernacles, their offerings, and their festivities. But there's also something else that Pastor Joe brought to our attention that was very important to the, to the people of that day, and that was circumcision. Circumcision was often taught and promoted as a necessary means of salvation. And this morning's passage is loaded with history, with truth. So I'm trusting this morning that we head down the road that I believe is, is clear for us today as the Oaks family. But I also challenge you to go and study through chapter 3. Dive into it, dig into it, look at it. See what it says. Study the history. Understand why all these issues were occurring. But this morning I have a clear message. Whenever in the day the Judaizers were teaching that you must have faith in Christ, but now to remain acceptable to God you need to live as Jews. It is clear that the teaching did not sit well with Paul and his aim in the passage as we observe today, will teach us that our redemption comes through Jesus Christ alone. Not by works. Chapter 3, and Paul covers what now appears to be 4,000 years of history. We'll study from Abraham to Jesus to common day. He began chapter 3 reminding the church of personal experiences as a new Christian. Remember, he used language. He used language as bewitched, Bewitched is to charm someone, fascinate someone. He used these specific language and questions in hope of them returning to the gospel. It's basically me looking you in the eye and saying, Hello, idiots. What are you thinking? That doesn't sit well. It should stir possibly an uncomfortable spirit within you. But Paul chooses the words, Oh foolish, Galatians, who has bewitched you? We've got to ask ourselves the same question here in America. You have grown up in church, many of you. You have been bewitched with pieces and evidences of false gospels. Do not stand here arrogant or sit here arrogant thinking this may not apply to me. I go back from day one. You test and you study and you know the Word of God. You challenge and you ask questions. And Paul was doing the same thing to stir in hopes that they would return to their true gospel. And we ended our time last week in verse 6 where we'll pick up today. And Paul turns his appeal to Abraham. Love how he went from personal experience 
Now he turns his appeal to the Old Testament, the Holy Scriptures. Let's read Galatians chapter 3, 5-14, and we'll unpack and study through our text together. We'll pick up in verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 7. Know then that it is those who are the sons, those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed by everyone who does not abide by all things written by the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that the one who is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, good news. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise, Spirit, through faith. It's good news for us this morning. Why would Paul bring up the Old Testament? He stirred aggression in them, got their attention with personal experiences. Remember, this letter is addressing. It is counteracting what is already occurring. False teachers wanted to bring up Old Testament, which they used very frequently. And like I said earlier, bewitched, charming them into a false gospel. Therefore, Paul respects their attempt and counters with two examples. And those two examples will be Abraham and Jesus Christ. And Abraham... Starting in verse 6-9, through nine, Paul moves from those personal experiences to, of the believer to a higher source, the Scripture, to make his case. Abraham is a living example of what salvation by faith looks like. Remember the song, Father Abraham and many sons? Many sons said, Father Abraham. I won't sing it. But here's the deal. We study these stories growing up and we retain them in light of child lens, if we will. But it's important this morning to understand, as we went through Lent last year together, I studied on Abraham and how he brought his son before a holy God to sacrifice his son as an offering. His display, not only in this account, is great faith. His great faith. This is a man who strapped wood upon his son's back, hiked up the hill with no lamb. His son asked, Where's the lamb, Father? And Abraham believed in his spirit that God was going to provide the lamb. I am thankful that my God does not look me or speak to me and say, Grab Boone. Take him to the highest mount and sacrifice him for me. There's more to that story. Much more depth. But to bring it home, Abraham's faith was great. Abraham's faith in God should just challenge 
us on so many levels. In verses 6 through 14, when we read that together, Paul here is quoting Moses, Deuteronomy, from Leviticus to Habakkuk. He keeps showing us that the Old Testament does not teach salvation by works of the law. And we understand that people of the Old Testament were saved the same way that we are saved, through faith alone. And people of the Old Testament looked forward to Christ. When people of the Old Testament were looking forward to God for the promised Messiah and Savior, you and I, we look back to what Christ did on the cross. And when you read this passage through 6-9, through nine, there's a marvelous unity of the Bible here. There is. There's a common thread, and it is this. There is only one doctrine of salvation. That is faith in Christ alone. That is it. There is no Jesus plus. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, for it is a gift from God that cancels all works. It is okay to have faith in God, believe in God, and when you do so, you begin to live out that faith. It is strengthened. God may not call you to the heights of bringing a son to sacrifice before Him, but He will lead you. Last week we talked about that. The Spirit of God came through the cross. Now the Spirit of God has come to the hearing of faith. And the Spirit of God will guide us every day. We must wake up and hear it. Not audibly. Let's be clear. We've heard it called the still small voice. The Spirit of God is in us. It will move in us in a way that makes day to day intentional for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe it. The Spirit is available. He is our helper. We were reminded last week And we continue to learn in verse 7, Paul teaches that we are members of Abraham's family. Once again, good news. Very good news. Why is it good news? It's found in verse 8, and this is where we'll camp out for a moment. Let's read verse 8 together. Start with verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. Why is it good to be sons of Abraham? We are blessed. We are blessed. Let's dive into that some more. Abraham is not only the living example of salvation by faith in Christ alone, but he is a living prophecy of the rest of life as well. He was showing us that God saves us by grace through faith apart from works of the law. And the Scripture here, if you look in it, is personified. 
It, in mine, it actually is capital letter S, Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify. Foreseeing. What Paul is doing here is clearly stating that Scripture says is what God says. What Scripture says is what God says. What Scripture is put on the level such as this is the Scripture, and God said it. Scripture also talks about, I mean, Paul here in Scripture also talks about the gospel. It says the gospel was preached through Abraham. And God called Abraham, and he knew that the nations would be blessed through Abraham, through his offspring, and his offspring is whom? Jesus Christ. This is good news. And all the nations of the earth are blessed. God's design from the beginning is to save his people from every tribe and language. The book, this Bible is about missions. It should stir in us a church and awareness of this mission. God's wanting to advance the gospel in his people through our faith. And I will promise you this, that the Oaks will be an active part of the end game of going to the nations. Our heart's affections for missions should not be stirred by sad pictures and statistics. The main source of stirring should stem from the Bible. The whole book is about missions. You take away missions out of the Bible and all you have is a cover. A leather-bound cover. This whole book is about God calling creation into a new creation. Redeeming His people. We are on mission together. We're in Denham Springs and Baton Rouge. Advancing the gospel together. Acts chapter 2 paints a great picture of this lived out. In verses 9 through 11, I was counting through trying to keep up, and there were 18 different people groups that heard the good news in their language. The church is universal. Be aware of God's mission, that it goes and stretches beyond these four walls. Many of you have heard that. And I would even go as far to say that if, that, if you're callous of that, that you pray, Father, remove just whatever hurt or whatever callous you may be towards mission, towards giving to mission, being a part on mission, whatever it is, just pray, Spirit of God, just reveal to my heart what it looks like to live through your eyes. To live as Paul did, to mirror, as we spoke about last week, the grace of God. It's critical. When you read Abraham's story, his example of the gospel, it's clear. He believed. He counted righteous. He was counted righteous and lived out his life in faith. And in verse 9 it continues, it says, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. And then clearly it says, the man of faith. I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. You can stay where you're at, but I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 12. Verse 9 ends with the man of faith. Let me just give you an overview, if you will, just a brief uh, synopsis of what Abraham did in his faith before God. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. 
He went somewhere. He knew God said he would have an inheritance. Landed there by faith. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking to God the whole time. He says there, he says, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age, Sarah was Abraham's wife. Since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, him is a good, him good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And in verse 17 of the same chapter, he says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offering up his son, I'm sorry, offered up Isaac, and he who has received the promises was in the act of offering up his son, and of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figurative speaking, he did, he did receive back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over his head and his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. I mean, I could go on this whole chapter. But the faith of Abraham... brought to this earth the Son of God. Can't put it any more clearly. Through His offspring, Jesus came. The faith of Abraham has every right to be called the man of faith. So then we look in chapter, uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Paul elevates another honest truth. Paul is good at this. Paul is very good at just being honest. I'm learning a lot from Paul as I study through this. And just to be clear, to protect the gospel, to be honest, to lead in faith. Just a man. A man preserving the gospel. Just painting a great picture for us. So he reminded, remember I said there was two examples. The first was Abraham, that he used it and talked about the faith of Abraham, how he believed and how he was counted righteous, now he lives out in faith. Now we go to example number two, the Christ. Let's read 10 through 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse. For it is written, Cursed is a man, cursed is the everyone who hangs on the tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come through the Gentiles, so that they might receive the promise the Spirit through faith. Verse 10 tells us that we're under a curse. Cursed is everyone who does not fulfill the law. Relying on your works for salvation keeps you under this curse. 
understanding biblical history of the curse dates all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. The curse is on mankind. We are under the curse of sin. We are under God's judgment. Therefore, we need rescue from this curse. We are guilty because we cannot keep God's law. Therefore, we need a Savior. Verse 10 tells us that no one is justified. But then verse 11 tells us again that we are justified by the law, but righteous. We are not justified by the law, but we are righteous living in our faith. The approved life by faith. The acceptable life by Christ alone in faith. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, if we do not wrap our minds around this, we exhaust ourselves. And you're hearing repetition in this book. As we study through it, you just hear repetition. And I heard a pastor state it once that it's like a race. You're running a marathon and you're just going in a circle and then you go start the finish line justified by faith in Christ alone. He goes through a appeal, Paul does, and comes back around. Justified by faith alone. It's a common theme through this whole book because it was so critical to Paul to preserve this gospel. And if he is proclaiming that, he is pleading with that church, we must hear the same plea today. Do not find yourselves trying to be, as simple as I can put it, a better Christian. That is not how it works. We've all been guilty and exhausted because of it. Our lives produce fruit as a Christian because of the Spirit of God in us. Because of the Word of God working in us. It's powered by His Spirit. We're under this curse and we need salvation. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, I'm not going to turn there, but studying through it, you look at people, they were coming across into the Promised Land. There were six tribes on one hill and six on the other. They were arguing. Different tribes and teaching different laws, if you will. One saying that to keep the law then to be blessed. And the other one saying if you don't keep God's law, then you are under a curse. We have a problem. The bottom line, church, is that we are under a curse. We've heard that popular hymn, Joy to the World During Christmas Time. We're quick to sing the verses that we like, but there's one that we don't sing very often. Let me read it to you. No more let sin and sorrow grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow far as curse is found. As far as the curse is found. For as far as the curse is found. Joy to the world. Our Savior lives. How far is this curse found? It's found throughout the whole earth. You're either bound by a curse or you're blessed. My hope of identifying this curse this morning would begin to ponder questions in your life. How do I get this curse lifted? How is it removed? And I will speak as any loving parent that sees a son or daughter in sickness. We want to provide the quickest solution, the fastest cure, 
And that's what my God did with Jesus. We cannot live up to the law. Stop. Stop exhausting ourselves thinking we can. We live in faith in Christ alone. This curse is found all throughout the land. Look at verse 13. Christ becomes the cure for us. Paul quotes Deuteronomy chapter 12, 23. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It is clear that we are either under a curse or we are under Christ. As I read this, I read it over and over and a picture was painted in my mind. As I think of truth that's in this passage, we gather at the foot of this tree every week. I pray you gather at this tree every day. Underneath it, under His hedge of protection, as a pastor, I see what God's doing here at the Oaks. He's providing a haven, a place of peace when all around appears foolish. I know Jason and Joe and we're putting our hands to the plow. And we're doing our best to listen to God and to cultivate a church family in prayer and in study and doing life together. But in all the things that we can do, we do them in vain. We do them in self-righteousness. It is not for... It's not good. It's for God alone. It's for Jesus Christ alone. And our Savior was on a cross. And the Jews understood that this cross is it's a visible symbol of rejection. It's a visible symbol of rejection. And this person has been forsaken by God. Though Jesus never sinned, He went to the cross and became the curse for us. He became the incarnation of the curse of God. Our Jesus was a visible sign of rejection. Even the Father in some mysterious way turned away from Him as He said, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? The Jews could not understand. They missed it. Christ was not cursed because of His sin. Christ was cursed because He bore man's sin in His own body on the tree. So how do we get from underneath this curse? Cling to the tree. The tree is the cross. Cling to Jesus. Jesus took on our curse. He died our death. He paid our penalty. He took our wrath. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Over the years, I began collecting hymnals and I often I read them devotionally. Just sit and read. I came across this one. In verse 3, it says, Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement, Full atonement can it be? Hallelujah. What Savior. He is 
the atoning sacrifice. He is the cure of our curse. The remedy. It kills us. It gives us life. It's the heart of the Christian faith. Atonement. Jesus dying as the substitute for our sins. Remind yourselves this morning. Let it sit heavy, but then celebrate. You have to. That is good news. Our curse, this sin curse that stems all the way back from Galatians chapter 3, the sin in our lives, our curse was transferred to Him as His righteousness is transferred to us. As a Christian, and we gather, sinner, saved by grace, in faith alone, in Christ alone. I'll say that again. Our curse was transferred to Him and His righteousness was transferred to us. What a love, what a freedom we have today. Redeemed, bought with a price, blessed, justified by faith, and a promise of the Holy Spirit to guide us, to help us. We see Abraham's life, the way he acted. We learned from Paul last week how he mirrored grace to the Galatians. And now we hear of the Christ that paid his life for the sins of mankind. So I want to wrap up with four points. The first is this, that that applies to us, is that we need to love the gospel. We need to defend the gospel. Do not defend a borrowed knowledge or doctrine that was passed on from man to man. Defend the Holy Scriptures because you understand. The Spirit of God has revealed it to you. Critical. Etched in our minds and revealed in our hearts. Love the gospel. Defend the gospel. Let justified by faith be medicine to your soul. You understand the weight of Christ and now you just have just just liberty, freedom. Let Let it be medicine for your soul. Third, share it. As any good friend and neighbor that knows someone who is under this curse. I would advise that you don't walk up to them and say, hey, you're under a curse, you need Jesus. I'm not so sure how that's going to go over. So just let me know. But that same remedy you have, that peace of mind, that hope, live it out. Share it. And last, as we close, Remember, we live by faith. And it all started and continues in our faith. Let's pray. Lord, we have Your Word this morning. You're good. As usual, Your Bible is good for our souls. The Scriptures... Teach them to be steady in our hearts, God. 
Lord, we are your church, and as we continue to grow together and show us, reveal to us what that looks like. But we want to celebrate who you are. You've lifted all weight of expectation. And all we need is faith in Christ alone. Lord, I pray for the believers in this room that they will walk walk with weight lifted off knowing that they can just know you study your word pray in the spirit be led in God that they can live a life in liberty and freedom that we are no longer bound by your curse and by the sin in this life but we are free in Christ God, we celebrate that. We rejoice in that. And we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.